0: Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Greys in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 33 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. This episode is the second half of my coverage of the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore birthday event. As with last week, the audio is a little bit hit or miss depending on which interview you're listening to and what was going on at that time. We were in the back room of the bookstore's um, office and so you'd pick up people doing their job and you'd pick up the sound from the main room where they were having the event. So there is some background noise that is in there. And, you know, anytime I'm recording on location, the audio is a little bit different than when I'm recording in my home. So that is what you were dealing with with this episode. But I think it turned out relatively well. So uh, enjoy the interviews. There are six of them. And I will talk to you after those are done. I am here with Gavin Scott, and he's one of the wonderful authors that's going to be doing a spotlight here today. Um, Gavin, for those of our listeners and our viewers who are not familiar with your work, tell us a little bit
1: about you. Okay. Um, for the first half of my career, I was a journalist journalist. Uh, with the Time, London Times, with the BBC in radio, with the BBC in television, with independent uh, television in Britain. I made documentaries, I read the news, and pretty much all the things that you, you can do. I was an on the road reporter. Uh, but during that time, I, uh, I published some novels. Uh, my first novel was a chase thriller set in New Zealand called Hot Pursuit mm-hmm. uh, about a satellite landing in the wilds of New Zealand and being pursued by the and this dates it the the KGB mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as the mm-hmm. CIA. And my hero was a journalist, believe it or not. <laughs> Pure coincidence, uh, I was a journalist too. And he pursues uh, he pursues this uh, uh, remains of this satellite through the New Zealand bush. So that was hot pursuit. That got me going. I did another book called uh, A Flight of Lies about the hunt for the bones of Peking Man, which are the, Peking Man is the ultimate Chinese ancestor. Okay. And those bones were found in the 1920s by the famous uh, theolo- theologian Tiard de Chardin, and then disappeared during World War Two. And because they are the ultimate Chinese ancestor, the Chinese really want them back. They they were last seen in a marine footlocker heading for the coast of China from central from Peking. And um, uh, when Nixon went to China, that was the first thing he was asked for: Can we have the bones we we don't know we the fact that the U S Army had them we don't know what happened to them we don't it's wow. a great mystery so that was my second book so anyway that's uh, I the journalist working for television loved writing stuff that involved film that got me writing screenplays. I wrote one about Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. That got me, brought me to the attention of George Lucas. George Lucas hired me to work on the young Indiana Jones Chronicles TV series. Which I remember well. That, got, <laughs> that brought me over to the States. I sold a script to uh, Steven Spielberg that was made as the movie Small Soldiers, directed mm-hmm. by Joe Dante. Another movie I made was uh, The Borrowers. Oh
0: my God, uh, I love The Borrowers. Yeah. Uh,
1: with John Goodman and a great yeah, Hugh yeah, Laurie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hugh Laurie was the postman. Believe it or not, in mm-hmm. The Borrowers. Uh, and uh, continue to, to to write movies as well as do television. So television, I've done the, my Jules Verne thing as a, as a TV series, The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne, which mm-hmm. is early steampunk. Uh, uh, Mists of Avalon, uh, Legends of Earthsea. The current movie I've got coming out later this year is called The uh, Absolutely Anything, which I wrote with Terry Jones of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And it stars Robin Williams and uh, Simon Pegg, Kate Beckinsale, Eddie Azard. And what the pythons are there in voice. That's well. awesome! What a what a great cast. And then and then I I really an idea began to build up in my mind for uh, to return to novel writing, mm-hmm. and uh, that led to the creation of a, a, a chap called Duncan Forrester, who is a former special operations executive during World War Two. He is an academic at heart. When uh, the war is over when the, move, when the novel begins, he comes back to Oxford, just wanting to return to the world of, of ancient history and the quiet you know pastures of academe. But a colleague is killed, his best friend is accused of murder, and Duncan Forrester has to go on the hunt to find who really did it mm-hmm. in order to save his friend and that 's the beginning of the story, the beginning of what I hope will be a, a long running series. That's awesome. And now that's, is that the, that's the, it's called the Age Age of of Treachery published by Titan Books distributed by Random House. And uh, that's, that's the book we'll have here today. That's very cool. So now it sounds like
0: you, you sound like you have a a great love for, um, historic, historical fiction, real life mysteries, things that, um, yes, that kind of capture our imagination, but are yet very real.
1: Uh, we, not very real, <laughs> a little bit real. No, not a little bit real. What it is is, uh, I suppose, it's my background as a journalist. Mm-hmm. As a journalist, obviously, especially for the BBC or the Times, really had to be totally grounded in the facts, and I love that. But then my imagination said, "What if you know we could improve on that?" So I suppose, as a novelist, um, I, what I love doing is taking the facts and then running with them. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as you say, I love history. So, for example, this Age of Treachery novel. It's set in 1946. It's very grounded in the world of 1946 in Britain, which we'd won the war, but we had nothing. You know, people were, were queuing up for, for powdered eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> During mm-hmm. the war, people had had, they, there weren't any eggs available, so you'd had to have powdered eggs. Everybody hated powdered eggs. When you made them into a pancake or an omelette, they looked like a, a, a leather, a piece of leather. Right. But, uh, at the end of the war, we couldn't even afford the powdered eggs. Oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, America wouldn't loan us the money. <laughs> so Britain was in a state of privation. But all the, all the things that make our world today, that are kind of part of our cultural heritage, they were bubbling away. And so I wanted to have my hero, Duncan Forrester, meet up with some of those people before they were famous. Mm-hmm. So, for example, among the people he encounters as he's trying to solve the mystery, uh, J.R. Tolkien, before he'd finished Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he used to he used to um, uh, gather with his friends, Tolkien did, uh, in a pub called The Eagle and Child, which was nicknamed The Bird and Baby. <laughs> and one of his friends whom he met there and wrangled with there was was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was always telling Tolkien to hurry up and finish The Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien would say, yes, I've written this battle sequence, and I've just realized the moon is in the wrong phase, so I have to go back and start again. Oh, no. And (laughs) C.S. would say, look, tidy that stuff up later. Don't start again from the beginning and change all the names, which is what he was doing. Interestingly, because he was becoming slightly impatient, he began to say, you know, I could do do the same kind of stuff much faster. Mm -hmm. And he began to write the Narnia books which slightly annoyed Gerald Tolkien. I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't ripping him off, but you know, he was talking and come up with this idea, and C.S. Lewis said, let's do the streamlined version. Mm. <laughs> so uh, another person that um, Forrester meets up with is a, the foreign manager of the Sunday Times newspaper, okay. a former naval intelligence officer, not yet well known for anything at all, a bit of a rake, whose name was Ian Fleming. So it's Ian Fleming before James Bond.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: he meets up with a young X-ray crystallography student called Margaret Roberts, mm-hmm. uh, who would later marry a businessman called Dennis Thatcher and oh. become Prime Minister of Britain. <laughs> so the part of the fun of it is, I, I plunge into this world initially of 1946. I mean, the series will cover other dates as we go on, but it begins then. And suddenly you realize this is the stuff that was happening that led to the stuff we know right. <laughs> later on. So. Well, that's just
0: fascinating. It's, it's, it's fun because it's nice to be able to have those toys to play with. Yes. And, and it's, it's very cool that you can can recognize where those toys are and how to manipulate <laughs> them. So that's, that's very cool. Now, uh, geekitude is a geek culture podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an amalg- amalgamation of the words geek and uh, aptitude. So is there a place where you feel like your geekitude is high? Geeky
1: things that you tend to really enjoy and consume. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, there's there's one level, is, and that is the research that I do for, for, for these books. I totally love going into a library and coming out with a stack of books uh, <laughs> like that, you know, and plunging into diaries and letters and, and that sort of thing. So there's that one element. The other element is that I have, I have a huge love of science fiction, yeah. uh, you know, reading the works of the short stories of H.G. Wells when I was about, 10, uh, and, and and then the novels of Jules Verne about the same age. That got me going into writing and serious literature. Uh, and as I mentioned, I did my own TV series about the young Jules Verne at yeah. one point. Uh, I have a huge love of science fiction, what's the word? Um, artifacts. <laughs> so I collect, uh, I collect a lot of sci-fi toys. <laughs> and I don't just collect them, I have to admit, I turn them into sculptures. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I make these. Uh, you could, I mean, some of them are like shadow boxes, about four feet long, three feet, high, uh, three feet high, and, and about six inches deep. And I'll create a theme. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, one oh. I did was uh, of uh, space toys from the 1950s, board games, model rockets, spaceman, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because, and they were all uh, created before we were in space. Mm-hmm. That's what I love It's that notion. You know, the toys were kind of looking t- into the future. And there is that in cardboard, in plastic, um, uh, in, in tin, you've got a sort of tangible version of the future as it was seen in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So I love doing that stuff. Um and I love collecting the wherewithal. I, I, you know, a lot of collectors. Oh, it's got to be mint in the box. No, because I do stuff with them. Because I put, I love finding a broken thing, you know, well, and putting it together. There's
0: a charm to it. There's, yeah. it's, it's, it is history. And if it's pristine, yeah. it hasn't experienced that history. Yet. It
1: hasn't been played with. It hasn't no. been. Yeah, some kid hasn't pushed it through the sand or you know, banged it down on the head. Um,
0: my younger brother is a huge Star Wars fan, and yeah. um, we grew up with the the little plastic toys Absolutely. that are now insanely expensive if you were ever to find one in mint condition I
2: know.
0: Um, so when they re-released a bunch of toys, he he saved them. He would go out, buy one, put it in a box.
2: Good
0: okay. And I was like, you do realize that now that they know people do this, they're releasing just very few of certain ones. There's, there's a kid out there who doesn't have a Princess Leia because you have Princess Leia and she's not getting played with. And he's like, right? I, I can play with them. So he takes a TIE fighter and a TIE fighter pilot, puts yeah. the two boxes next to each other. Like, oh my God. No, and I'm
1: like, that's no. That's not right. No, you must discipline your brother. Well,
0: <laughs> well, the good thing is, is he's just recently had a daughter and so I have a feeling that once just, she's like, old
1: enough they will get played with. And one thing I have because, because I was... in. in in my 20s when these movies were released and I was already into my enthusiasm then so I bought the Star Wars toys as they came out I mm-hmm. didn't keep them pristine in the boxes although I kept all the boxes and one of the things I have is a cardboard Death Star do you, you know that toy? Yes, yeah, I remember the commercial like, for it. Yeah, and and you bits of plastic, but mostly it was cardboard, and it had a a trash compactor and the whole thing. And uh, I'm glad so I still I've still got that. <laughs> yeah, they just don't
0: make toys like they used to. They really just don't.
1: <laughs> well, remember in the early days of the Star Wars toy, when they had no toys at all, mm-hmm. they gave you you could buy a voucher. They literally would they you could buy a Star Wars toy voucher. Oh wow! Uh, and and later on when they produced the toys, you could hand it over and then you get your toy. But that was, that was how desperate it was. That's, that's uh, I talked to George, I mean, because I worked with George Lucas on the young, in the Dan Jones Chronicles. I mean, he was, he was marvelling that the, you know, the best deal he ever did was the one where he, uh, he, he, took in lieu of other rights, the merchandising rights mm-hmm. for his script, which people, what's the value of merchandising? A few, you, you know, right. Brace, uh, you know, belts with pictures of the characters, who cares about that? And, uh, I was working in Skywalker Ranch at that time, and you looked around, you realised that merchandising. <laughs> also, he was worth a lot. Plus, yeah. he turned it into great. He put it back into the industry. You know, mm-hmm. Skywalker Ranch is a place where people made film and, and, and television, and, uh... and innovations in film and television. And oh, just totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we were doing with industrial light and magic there was was extraordinary. Although by the stage, by that stage. Uh, young Indiana Jones chronicles couldn't afford the services of industrial light and magic, even though George was producing it. <laughs>
0: uh, the industry is a funny. Yeah, it's a funny yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what advice do you have to people who are are venturing out into writing, whether it be screenplays or novels?
1: The first piece of advice I would say is it, obviously, if in, in the case of uh, uh, of movies or te- or television, it's what is watching as much as you can. But, this, but oddly enough, the, the, same, the next piece of advice applies to both, which is read as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So in the case, even if you're interested in film and television, read the screenplays. And you can, it's amazing how you can get the screenplays, the teleplays, you know, via the internet now. So there's, there's nothing to stop you reading the great scripts. Mm-hmm. So that's it. And then the other thing is, is books, it, you know, is, is patronize your local bookstore, patronize your local library, because there's just so much stimulus out there. To, to pour in. So those are the first two pieces of advice, watching and reading like crazy. Just make that, and listening as well. I mean, mm. don't waste, if you've got any time, you know, if you're going to the bathroom, you should have a book on tape on there, definitely. <laughs> but then the next thing is, I think, it's it's do it. It's no use talking about writing. You've actually got to write. And write as, in as in my view, as disciplined a way as possible. Now, that, that is, when I say disciplined, I mean in, in terms of regularity and mm-hmm. time obviously if you're if you're you know you have a day job or, or or you're a student you you can't write for you know you can't do office hours but if it's i think it's a really good idea to set aside a certain time every day when i started it was early in the morning before journalists before i began my journalistic work even just an hour mm-hmm. it's and in fact you can probably get more done in a in an hour if you know you've only got an hour <laughs> your, your, your attention doesn't have time to get pulled away uh, exactly. <laughs> and and, and and it's quite a good idea, I think, too, to set yourself a target in terms of actual pages. Okay. Um, and it, whatever whatever works for you. That is to say, I'm not saying everybody should write five pages or ten pages or two pages a day. But it, I think it's a good idea to give yourself a goal mm-hmm. and then write that, um, write that amount if you can. So to say, in this hour, I'm going to get two pages done or whatever it is. Um, I now happily for for, for many years have been able to to work office hours, but that same principle of discipline applies. You know, I turn up at nine o'clock as if there's a boss there (laughs) and I work until lunchtime. Then I have a nap. I'm a great believer in naps. <laughs> and I work in the afternoon. Uh, but again, and then I stop and I go to the gym or whatever. But that regular hours, it really helps, I think, because the writer's life is kind of a crazy one. You never can tell whether what you're writing is going to be bought or is what the film's, film is going to be made. But if you give yourself a regular pattern of work, in my case, it's five days a week, I take the weekends off, mm-hmm. then I think it really helps to, to give you a feeling of control over your life instead of just writing when inspiration strikes and hoping somebody tells you, here's a commission or we'll buy this. It's,
0: you know. Well, there's a lot of discipline involved because you're really the one who's setting your schedule. You're the one who's got to make sure that you make your deadlines and everything else. Yes. So yeah. it, it really does help help mm. to, to say, no, this is the time that I have to be there. Exactly. That's yeah. very, very cool.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, what do you have coming
1: up? What uh, Any appearances? Uh, well, in terms of the, uh, in terms of what I've got, uh, actually going off to New Zealand uh, next week, and I'll be seeing some people there. Uh, but but be honest, I'm going there to celebrate the, the 95th birthday of my mother. Oh, well, congratulations! <laughs> Who, thank you, mother. Well, I'm very proud of her. She lives on top of a mountain. She generates her own electricity. She starts an electric generator every day. And a pump to pump the rainwater up to the roof. <laughs> and she has a deal with the local beekeeper so that he splits the logs into the sizes she can carry into her stove. Wow. <laughs> so I, I'm proud of my mum. <laughs> yeah. So I often do But in terms of what, I, what I'm working on, so I'm working on, um, on. Actually, I've written the sequel to Age of Treachery. It's called The, the Age of Olympus, set in Greece and Crete, um, uh, just after the war. And it involves a, a mysterious find in a Cretan cave, which sheds light on Minoan civilization. And um, it, it has again some characters who were around at that time, like Lawrence Durrell, mm-hmm. who then was editing a newspaper in Rhodes. And although Gerald Durrell wasn't there, that was he's kind of in effect part of the story through his brother. So I've that, that finished that, or I pretty much got it done. I'm researching the third one, which is called The Age of Exodus. Uh, I'm writing a sci-fi screenplay for a producer uh in in hollywood right now uh which is a wonderful monster movie set in space i'm hugely enjoying inventing (laughs) monsters and just that that's a blast um and i'm doing with a german company a project about uh treasure hunters um and yeah i mean there's probably and there's probably about 10 different things going on
0: Well, that's great. And where can, where can our uh,
1: viewers and listeners find you? Okay, probably the easiest thing is through my website, which is co. just C-O. Okay. I can't afford the M. Uh, <laughs> people keep writing to me and offering me the M, you know, for $5,000. No. Like, no, I'm not. Gonna go. <laughs> gavinscott.co. So, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm conscious. One of the things I'm doing on, on my website is I'm trying to help people to plunge into that world of 70 years ago 1946 because it is neatly 70 years ago from this year uh so i'm you know what were the books that were being published what were the movies that were coming out what might my hero have been reading in the magazines and i'm putting up little extracts there so you can immerse yourself in 1946 if, you, if so you want fun. to find <laughs> that's so amazing yeah plus pictures of my
0: sculptures i'm putting them up too and but, that but... i definitely want to see because i, th- I love shadow boxes i think they're, they're oh, such a, uh, yeah. a very
1: cool art form yeah yeah well, I'll, I'll send you some. I'll send you some pictures if you like. Yeah, definitely. Years. We'll put them up in our show notes. That would be. Yeah, that might be quite interesting. That's awesome. Yes, well, thank absolutely. you so
0: much for talking with us today oh, and taking out your pleasure. time. Uh, you haven't done your artist. No, not that. That's, that's, so that's coming, coming, up coming up in up. a few
1: minutes. Absolutely, okay. oh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Great, and I uh, hope you. So enjoy much. the book. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
3: I'm Daryl Wood Gerber. Am I supposed to be speaking to them or to you? Uh, either is fine. Whichever. Okay. Um, I have a new suspense out. It's called Girl on the Run. Uh, the little log line of this is, When a fantasy fairy tale night becomes a nightmare, Chessa Paxton must run for her life, but will the truth set her free? This is a big diversion for me. Um, I'm known for my cozy mystery books, and uh, my cozy mysteries include the Cheese Shop Mystery Series, which I write as Avery Ames. And the Cookbook Nook Mysteries—it's a mouthful, but you know they're tasty. Um, cookbook Nook Mysteries, and they are um, written by me, Daryl Wood Gerber. Uh, all of them are national bestsellers, and and uh, so the suspense. I self-published it, but it's been a work of love, and I've I've had a really good time. Great reviews.
0: Um, I when I was uh, looking at your information before uh, before today, I I thought it was such fun, like the Cookbook Nook. This, they, they sound like they're fun and, and just really enjoyable. Can you tell us
4: a little they bit are, about them? They
3: are. They're, um, if you think Murder, She Wrote,
4: mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm.
3: Murder, She Wrote, it's like that kind of TV series. I mean, they're all set. They're set in the fictional seaside town of Crystal Cove, California, a mm-hmm. place I would love to live, um, which is right in the middle of California, Middle Coast. And they feature Jenna Hart, and she is a former... um. Uh, a former advertising executive who returns home to help her very eccentric aunt open a culinary bookshop and cafe. The fun thing about Jenna is she doesn't cook. (laughs) So so she has to learn to cook and she's going to learn five ingredients at a time. But what's fun about it is it's an amateur sleuth. And so anytime you have an amateur sleuth, yes, you have to sort of suspend disbelief um they really can't be the person i mean they're sort of you know in the way of the police Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they have good senses and because she was in advertising and marketing she has a really good sense of herself and and awareness of everything around her and in the very first book she is actually considered the suspect so how can she not get involved she has to jump in and, and clear her name the reason she's considered in the first book is to open the store she has um a famous celebrity chef who used to be her college roommate come and she's going to you know, sign her books, but then she winds up dead on the beach mm. and Jenna finds her. So, um, you know, an amateur sleuth then has to uncover the clues.
0: Now, how many books are in that series?
3: There are five. The fifth one of that comes out in August. It's called Grilling the Subject. They all have um, catchy food and book titles because it's a culinary bookshop. In mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my Cheese Shop Mysteries, for example, they're all, wait for it, cheesy titles. Okay, <laughs> Like the last one, it just came out in February. It's for cheddar or worse. Nice. Okay, so so they're all play on words, but in the cookbook ones, it's it's sort of food and uh, food and books, and books that go into the the titles. Anyway, grilling the subject will be the fifth one, and it comes out in August.
0: Very cool. Now, and yeah. the the cheese one, um, the what? How many do you have in that one?
3: The cheese one, there are seven.
0: Seven.
2: Okay.
3: Seven, and that's under Avery Ames. That's two A's, A A M E S. The reason I named myself wet, that was because um, it was my first series. I wanted to ma- get name recognition, and it came that way because the publisher came up with the idea of a cheese shop, oh, not me. It? Okay. They loved my writing, but they wanted something about a cheese shop. Can you write that? And I wrote some chapters that say, they said, oh, you've got this. So um, it was fun, but I wanted to be first on the librarians list. Mm-hmm. So I did A-A-M-E-S, which is a Welsh name. And I'm Irish, so it was okay, you know, I was just, just falling into the British Isles <laughs> right there. And, uh, and AAMES shows up in the first and all the different programs and things, but it has been very difficult to explain to people that Daryl is what my friends call me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and
3: Avery is what some of my readers call me.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, So the Geektitude podcast is a yes. geek culture podcast okay. uh, made up of geek and aptitude, so everybody has their own geektitude, what they're strong in.
3: Uh-huh. Geekiness
0: and what they're uh, low. Do you have a, a an area where you feel your geekitude is high? Where you're...
3: Yeah. Um. When it comes to my my cozy mysteries, my aptitude is high for research. Um. I love to cook. I was a cook all my life. Um, I catered. So, but I didn't know cheese. So when I first got into cheese, I had to learn all about cheese, but I'm really good at research. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it came to the cookbooks then I had to research all these cookbooks and things, because we're trying to come up with all the different kinds of, you know, uh, foods that can be in each of the books. So I have recipes in Mm -hmm. my books. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, one of my strengths, um, I used to be an actress. And so my strength I find is character and dialogue. I really like that. So if, if it were geekitude in that, that would be my, my strength is trying to bring as many fun, lively characters to the page and have their dialogue be right for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you talked about how you are shifting to um, to suspense. Right. And how has that transition been for you? Well,
3: that's an interesting thing. So my geekitude for that is I love Pace. Um, I like things to move fast even in my cozy mysteries they aren't they don't really languish they they like to have that mm-hmm. pace and so I've always loved thrillers and in fact I started when I was when I was an actress and I was writing screenplays I was writing thrillers and romantic comedies mm-hmm. I sort of you know threw myself around and when I moved into books, I still wanted to write thrillers in suspense and I did. But that's not what my agent was selling. She said, gee, I like your writing. I like this, but I can't sell this. And I had about eight screenplays, manuscripts that went that way. Needless to say, I was getting frustrated. And a girlfriend of mine said, you know, cozy mysteries are really selling. Why don't you try your hand at that? Mm. And so I tried my hand at that and boom, an agent said, yes, I can sell something. So I obviously had an aptitude for writing cozy mysteries, which are whodunits. But I still loved suspense, and Mm -hmm. so I've been retraining myself over and over again to go back to it, because that's what I I love to read, those and cozy mysteries I read across genre. Right. And um, so with Girl on the Run, which is the one that's out right now, uh, which, like I said, it's, it's doing real well, I had to really work on the pace and the voice to make sure that it had everything that I wanted in a thriller, in a suspense, and it seems that I'm getting gigtitude about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that that seems
0: to be a, a running theme with a lot of the authors that we've talked to today mm-hmm. is that they're they very much consume that which they are are putting out. Like right. they they really do enjoy the genre. Right. It's not just something that they're they're good at. It is right. something that they enjoy
3: Let's put it this way. I wouldn't write a history book.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Mm-hmm.
3: Because I really, you know, now I'm getting into history. I like history, but I still I wouldn't I don't read historicals. Though I did read The Three Musketeers, and I loved
2: it. Okay, so there are a lot of
3: historicals I used to read, but uh, but history per se, you would never find me writing a history book. Right. You know? So, yeah, I'm, I'm writing what I like to read, and I do like reading about food, um, and I do like, uh, you know, reading suspense. I, I like to read about a woman in peril, a man in peril. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You know, Harlan Coben, I love his writing. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people who are, are starting on this journey and starting to yeah. become a writer and, and diving in and yeah. not quite knowing where they're going?
3: Um, take classes. Read books. Stephen King's book is great on writing. It's a great book. Um, and I'm not a Stephen King fan. But that mm. book, oh, my gosh. Um, and that's not because I don't like Stephen King. I, I don't read horror. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I couldn't write horror. <laughs> I don't read horror. I, I, I get too many vibrant na- nightmares. Um, yes, it, the main thing is don't give up. The second thing is to believe in yourself. The third thing is to take a lot of classes. Put your writing out there. Don't let your mother be your only critic. Mm-hmm. You know, don't mm-hmm. let a friend be your only critic. Go to groups, get your work critiqued. grow a hard shell. Um, once, it, finish a book. Number one, finish a book. Yeah. There are a lot of people that say, I want to write a book, but they get two chapters in and they put it aside and they start something new. Finish a book, even if it's the worst book.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Write it so that you can say, I finished a book. Mark Twain said, you can't edit anything if it's not written. Right. So you have to write a full book, and then you can go back and edit it. And I promise you, all my first drafts stink. <laughs> you know, maybe the first chapter is good, and boy, the last chapter is great. But you know those that muddy middle, it has to be tooled. It has to be worked in. You have to be able to put your rear end in the chair to get it done. And you have to have a, you have to have a a system, you know, do you get up at six and write for four hours? Do you get up at six and write for 24 hours and then give up for a month? Mm -hmm. You know, what is your system? And, and my attitude is I have to write something every day, even if it's, you know, a, a laundry list or a grocery list, right? Something has to go on the page so that I know that I'm a writer. Journaling is good. The art of writing. I think it's the art of writing. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a book. Yes. Is it the art of writing? There's a book that um, gives you a, a process to, you know, to work on writing and journal everything Is it you're the doing. the Morning
0: pages, like like it's, it's like that. It's the artist's way.
3: Artist's way. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, artist's way. And I, I picked that up, and that really helped me get started to believe in myself, um, to give myself that that ability to write every morning and make notes. Now I've gone back and I've looked at that. I was pretty silly back then. (laughs) I was really, it's like, really, did I feel that? But there were all these emotions. Mm -hmm. Can I do this? You have to battle that.
0: Well, have you have you heard of the um, get mortified movement? No. There is a a group of people out there. They they go from city to city and they have an event uh-huh. and it's like an open mic night and people will bring like their junior high and high school journals. Oh my gosh! And they'll pull <laughs> out the pages that kind of have a through line. Yeah. And they will read it and then they publish it as a podcast with interviews with that person. Oh my gosh! Um, it is. I, I highly recommend it because yeah. the, those people are brave.
2: Well,
0: I, I
3: had I had a college um, a college journal a diary. Uh, Because I wasn't a diarist before, but I did one because I was traveling during college, and I I did diary the whole thing. And I read it about 10 years later. Now, it's only been 12 years since college, of course, but, you know, about 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, um, I burned it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because you know what? I didn't want my child to see that book. There were some things that, you know, were personal to me, and I wrote it. It was great, but... (laughs) <laughs> you know, i, don't, I don't want my family reading this not later throwing on, it out there you know? no <laughs> i'm not saying it was you know it wasn't pornographic or anything but it certainly there were there's too much of me on the page mm-hmm. and it didn't have a lock and a key mm-hmm. so i threw it out what? but it was it's good i read it and i got i would have been mortified to read that <laughs> yeah. you remembered it
0: and then you let it go Ooh. and that's that's yeah. that's a that's P- a valid decision pictures
3: are worth a, a thousand words or a million. How many, however many words they are, a picture was just fine to keep from college. I didn't need to see the written word anymore.
0: Nice. Yeah. Very very nice. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for oh, coming in and talking to us about all of this. Yeah. Um, do you have any events coming up? Anything we should know?
3: No. This is um, this is the current one. Like I said, in August, I'll probably have some more events as I start to pitch grilling the subject. Um, I just came back from Malice Domestic. Do you know about that? It's -hmm. a a conference for fans and mystery writers. It's uh, in in Bethesda, Maryland. It used to be Washington, D.C. They're in proximity, and um, it was great. We got to see a lot of fans and a lot of friends and, and, you know, regenerate the juices, and, um, you know, it's always nice to do those kinds of conferences, but right now I've got to get back to the chair and and do a lot of writing. Um, I have a book that I want to put out in November and then I have another contract to do, so I have to I have to keep writing. It's
0: a lot of writing. Yeah. When, once you get yeah. once you get started and you've got the momentum yeah. going, it doesn't stop. Exactly. It doesn't stop. Exactly.
3: What about for you?
0: Um, for us, we have uh, we're going to a lot of conventions. We are going to San Diego Comic Con in oh, July, so that's fun. exciting. Yeah. And uh, but this is the big one that we've been promoting for now. So. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay. There are costumes in my suspense book. Oh, nice. Oh yes, the fairy tale ball. <laughs> she se- she celebrates a successful happily ever after ball. And the next morning finds herself next to her husband's dead body. Oh my! And no memory, and she can't explain why her princess gown is covered in blood. Oops. There you go. That's, so she that's runs, quite the hook, right? <laughs> it's got costumes. Very cool. Well, thank you right. very much for joining thank us today. Thank you very today. much.
0: We're here with Eric Laster, who has written Static, and we are going to talk to him about his book. Um, for those of uh, my listening audience and our viewing audience who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself.
5: Well, uh, I've been in hiding most of the time. I've been a, uh, I've published seven books, but only three of them have my name on them. Uh, I was a ghostwriter for a while. I published some sci-fi fantasy stuff that was on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm not legally allowed to say what they were, but I did. And uh, and so before that, I'd written a kid's book, Adventures of Erasmus Twiddle. Then I, after the ghostwriting, I came out with a sci-fi comic adventure, Wealthy Q. Dieterhoff, meat purveyor world savior, um, which is a little funny. Hopefully, and uh, and then uh, static. And so and besides this, I do also you know I book doctor, which is a thing you can mm-hmm. do. Yes. And then uh, and then also write for corporate clients. But this is what I love is the is the actual novel. Very cool. With my name. Um. Yes. It's yeah. got to be
0: nice. Yeah. Um. Tell us about static. Static.
5: Well, you want the premise or what do you want
0: uh whatever you feel is gonna gonna let us know what what we're consuming
5: well i can i think i have the first two sentences in my head so i'll do that and then i'll explain a little bit Mm -hmm. so okay first two sentences chapter one it was strange will calling me when he died the week before maybe a lot of other people get calls from the spirit world or whatever but it was a first for me and so i didn't pick up until the fifth or sixth ring so that was something that came out of an exercise I gave myself, where I was going to write the beginning of a story every day, and uh, and not anything more than the beginning, and then put it down. Beginning, put it down, put it down. And then I came, I came back to that one. Uh, I didn't wasn't something I would normally do, like a paranormal. It's a paranormal murder mystery slash contemporary static, um, and basically Curtis Brooks getting a call from his brother who died a week earlier. His brother's older. Um, I had no idea where he was calling from. Turns out he's calling fr- when I started, and I went back to work on this thing because the voice of the kid intrigued me. And then I started at page three. I still didn't know where the where the older brother was calling from. By page seven, I figured, oh, he's calling from a place called the aftermart, which is a sort of purgatory for him, where it's a imagine the biggest Walmart you've ever been in, but you can't get out, and it's filled with discontinued items from years gone by, historical epochs and years gone by. Every historical epoch is is represented. So um uh, so yeah so things that are outdated things that are ill conceived that were on the, in the marketplace didn't work out whether it's like you know there's something called a fish tank toilet which was a toilet that doubled as a fish tank corn dog lip balm old phones first apple computer and he's rather bored there but mostly it's a, it's he gets, the younger brother gets the call, thinks, oh, you're calling because I have to solve your murder, older brother says, no, I wasn't murdered, this is just part of the therapy, getting used to being dead, turns out the truth is somewhere in between, younger brother starts following in the footsteps of the older brother's life, starts dating the girlfriend, gets a somewhat dangerous job, finds that there was something amiss, and meantime, the two brothers are in in contact, and I'm an older brother, and I chart the older brother's coming around to treating his younger brother like an actual human rather than the little sibling that he was always treated as. Mm-hmm. I, I also am an older brother. So oh, man, really? I understand so that. So you know,
0: like, it, ah, that's it. not a good idea. That's a dumb <laughs> idea. So. Um, well, that sounds like a very, very cool uh, concept for a book. You mentioned that you were doing exercises to to kind of come up with this idea. Do you do you have a regimen of
5: exercises that you do when you're right or – I don't, uh, you know, every week have a new regimen of exercises. I kind of wish I did. Uh, I go through periods where I start to say, you know, that one came because I felt like I was in a rut with, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I feel like I'm writing the same stuff. I wanted to write com- what I thought was completely different type of material, even though if I, when I describe what I've, what I've, uh, what I've written, um, it sounds like, well, I don't know what it sounds like, but it doesn't sound like what I had expected to say I'd written, um. Uh, so I thought I was in a rut, and I'm like, I need to get out of this rut, so I'm going to write completely different types of stories every day. You know, the last one I did was something not dissimilar. Um, I, I did give myself – I felt like I was uh, – didn't get – wasn't fluent enough. I wasn't – I was just feeling sort of stuttery. And I said, I'm going to write a, just a sort of nonfiction paragraph, uh, you know, one, one, one a day, about any subject I want. It was supposedly – also because I'd be interested in doing nonfiction if I could find the right subject that – and get behind it. Um, I'm sort of looking for that on the back burner. But uh, so I, I, yeah, and I, you know, if I, I, I go to, I go out. I, I take a pencil. I'm listening for conversations. I'm purposely listening. So I give myself dialogue. I guess dialogue exercises. But I can't say I do it in any. I'm a disciplined writer, but the exercises are not so disciplined.
0: Okay, so it's it's kind of like you just find different ways to. To change up what you're writing and how you're writing it.
5: I do, and if I if I think that one month or two I feel like oh I'm I'm not you know my muscle in this in description feels flabby, then I'll just go out and say go out once a day, look around you, and write down what you see, mm-hmm. and then and then I do that for a little while, and then I stop, and then something else happens, and and it's good. I mean, uh, you know, or if I'm in an airport and I'm and there's nothing to do, uh, I'll say well. Use it as an exercise. I'm sitting here. What's around? How do mm-hmm. I describe this stuff? And so I do try to think of that uh, as often as I can. Uh, you know, you got me on a funny day because I'm, you know, here at this wonderful birthday bash at Mysterious Galaxy, and also uh, I've been on a book tour for the last few weeks. And, you know, you run into people who are say, they're like, yeah, I just sort of just wrote. I just started writing. And that's how they all talk. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, maybe I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying so hard, but I, I get a lot out of it when I'm doing it, and I enjoy, you know, I enjoy it. So, yeah, you you mentioned
0: uh, you will listen to conversations that are happening. Is that where you've gotten some characters
5: in, in some of your work from? the yeah, craziness
0: get, that is real life. Oh yeah, <laughs>
5: real life always. It's an absurd place we live in, and uh, and I love it because of that. I love I love the absurdity really on the page. Sometimes in life it can be frustrating. But um, yeah, you can hear great, great dialogue out there Uh, and just the rhythms of the way that people speak or think they're saying something clear and and aren't. I mean, what did I hear? Oh, uh, you know, there's stuff uh, like, uh, you know, one time I was at dinner and the girl next to me said, uh, everyone's always kissing his ass to his face. And it's like this is just <laughs> these are these are and there was a oh the on tour I heard I, I heard one um, somebody said yeah I have diarrhea mouth but in a good way. What, <laughs> it's Like what is, what is that uh, diarrhea mouth in a good way? Very interesting turns of phrases Yeah, very interesting yeah. turns of phrases. I mean I know what what is meant but it's funny choice of words and uh, so I, I enjoy I actually really enjoy listening to people. Yeah, I, I'm
0: a, a English teacher, but I'm also a oh, drama teacher. Really? Yeah, and so often when uh, when we're doing improv and the kids seem to, because I have an improv team that I coach, and when the the scenes start getting stale or you're seeing the same characters come up, and I'm like, all right, your assignment this week is to go out and see somebody on the bus or wherever and then come back and turn that into a character that you can use in class, and it, they, they come up with some fun stuff.
5: Yeah, that yeah. sounds
0: great. Yeah. Um, so the the podcast is called Geekitude. It's an amalgamation of geek and aptitude because everybody has different levels of geekiness. Uh so where do you feel your geekitude is high?
5: High. Uh well, I guess uh mostly not in as uh like fan stuff, but more actually I'm a, when when I'm with kids, high schoolers and stuff, I'm a geek with language. Mhm. So uh, you know I can look at an advertisement and I, uh, a, a, a old advertisement and I'm looking at the words and sometimes they're absurd and funny cuz they they don't quite say what they mean to say uh or and I geek out on that stuff. I mm-hmm. mean there's a there's a the Aftermarket would have something called Nally's potato sauce in it and I have an advertisement. This was a product of, you know, ketchup like potato sauce. And the ad is kind of ridiculous. It says um adds a nearly undetectable zest to anything you put it on. And I'm like, what what? <laughs> what? what does that mean? <laughs> and I would own this as a poster right. if I could find it as a poster. I, I love that. I, I love when they, when people don't quite say what they mean. You know, I suspect they meant mild or subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, but nearly undetectable zest is just, why should I buy that? And their, <laughs> and their slogan is, it's, called, it's made by a company called Nally's. And um, it says, Nally's is adequate. That's their slogan. Wow! (laughs) Shoot for the stars. Yeah. So I geek out mostly on language and I and reading. I mean, which includes reading. I don't read in any one genre. I'm not particularly strongly given to one genre. I like literature. I like speculative fiction. You know, I wrote sci-fi, fantasy, Uh, *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy*. I like stuff with humor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that you can be as serious as *All Get Out* and still be funny. Um, so I'm not sure I would just have to say language and books in general I don't want to I don't want to pin myself down to a genre like you know I, I, yes I went through all the you know Star Trek the 60s one with uh, the real well not the real sorry everybody um, <laughs> I did like make it so number one I like that version too. yes yeah
0: um, do you have any advice for young authors out there people who are getting started people who are, are looking to do this for a living Sure. Uh,
5: well, I think so. Um, if you're really interested in it, first off, you'll find out eventually. You'll be compelled. It's a compulsion. Because there's a lot of there's a lot in the world that will say, why? No. There are a lot of people... Everyone's got an opinion. Most of them will be wrong. Uh, and so you have to just stick to what you think is, is best for you. Don't give yourself an artificial time... Everybody's impatient at the beginning. They want to publish, they want to publish, they want to publish. And I was... And I still get that way from time to time, but I'm much better at um, at just saying I would prefer because I put out books. Say my first book was put out in 2001. It was a kids' book. hadn't meant to do that. I want to. I want to redo it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to feel that way anymore. So when you put something out, you want to hopefully just be happy with it for all time. Probably not realistic. Read a whole lot. Reading is the most important thing, and if you can write uh, every day, it's like a you know as they all know this. It's a muscle, but um, so you've got to exercise it like you would if you're playing a sport. And so if you're playing basketball, you play every day or most days. If you're a writer, you should read. You should read every day, and you should write pretty much every day or most days. Uh, but I would say, be resilient. Don't let the, don't don't just be resilient.
0: Yeah, it's it's like any any artistic field. There's there's a lot of rejection. <laughs> you have
5: to be ready for it. Try and get a thick skin. I'm still working on it. Um, but again, you you know if you can find your niche of, of of readers, you're good. You don't need to necessarily take over the entire world. This history is filled with people who sold literally seven copies of something while they were alive, and then we still know it. I'm actually talking about William Blake, but. Um, Lots and lots of people. I mean, Philip K. Dick was not a household name so much, and now so many movies have been made, out, and, and he's he's sort of on, he's the top. So, I, you know, it'd be better if it happened during one's lifetime. But uh, you've got to enjoy what you're doing, or at least you've got to feel proud of what you what you finish. So, people will come at you with all kinds of opinions, and take them because sometimes they if everybody says something similar, they're probably right. Mm-hmm. So you need to look at it. Sometimes you'll look at a comment and you'll say, if everybody's saying something similar and you don't understand why they're feeling this way, it might actually have something to do with another part of the story you're working on. And you just need to try and figure out why is everybody coming to this thing. But if more than this conclusion, if more than a few people say the same thing, and I'm sorry if this is all obvious, but um, it's what's coming to me. if more than a few people say the same thing, you need to look at it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and it's not obvious, because if it was obvious, I think everybody would be doing it and and being successful at it. So, uh know, I think the, the words of wisdom are good and, and sound. Um, what do you have coming up? And uh, where are we going to be
5: seeing you again? Well, I will be at Comic-Con in Phoenix in, uh, in June, uh, the beginning of June, then the Denver Comic-Con later that month. Uh, and then I've just been on a book tour in the Northwest in... Chicago as well, and uh, Toronto. So uh, that will I will happen again for Static, um, Paranormal Murder Mystery, uh, in October. There'll be another. I'll do another one, mostly to schools and bookstores. And then uh, next year, Wealthy Q. Dieterhoff, the Meat Purveyor, World Savior book. Can a homeless teen in New York City, armed mostly with deli food, save an alien race from extinction? Maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, that will come out. Uh, D- nationally distributed at the beginning of next year March and that'll be a trilogy and my, my goal is to have three so my box set will be a lunch box. oh that's awesome that's my goal that's so cool that's my goal so static until the beginning of next year and then when the when the paperback of static comes out the hardcover of Wellfield will come out cool and where can everybody follow you uh well I'm on uh I don't even Instagram e e underscore laster E. Lasser at uh, Twitter, ericlasser.com, staticnovel.com, Facebook. You can look me up. I'm on all of them. Okay, and we'll yeah. put all,
0: all that in the show notes so people okay. can go back to Geekitude and, and look you up there, too. Okay. okay, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. Well, well thank on, you
5: for spending some
0: time with us and telling us what you're up to and what you're doing. Thanks for letting me, Joe. Thank you. All right, all right. Hello, Hello. welcome back to the mysterious Galaxy Bookstore Birthday Bash. I am here with Jeannie Koch. Who I would not be here without, because you're the one who got me uh, this gig, and I really want to thank you for that, because you've had so much fun today.
6: Oh, I'm glad. I knew you would. I knew you would. So, I just thought it was perfect serendipity, so
0: had to do it. So, we we had you on the show, so we already know a lot about you, but tell us what you've been up to since then.
6: Uh gosh, writing, writing, more writing. Being late on deadline, more writing. Being later on deadline, more writing. Um, my daughter got married.
0: Congratulations. Thank
6: you, thank you. So, and then another friend got married. So April was pretty much the lost weekend, but about the whole month mm-hmm. for me. So that was hard. Um, making me later and later and later. <laughs> way, um, I swear to God, the books will get done. Um, so pretty much that. That's been my whole thing. That's. When you're an author, especially... I'm on a two-book-a-year contract with Daw, so and I have other contracts, so pretty much all you
0: do is write. And it's not a bad thing. your latest book just came out.
6: Yes, Camp Alien, book 13 in my Alien Catherine Kitty Cat series.
0: Now, do you have an end idea for this, or are you just going to write it until you're just out of stories?
6: Well, you know, realistically, Kitty has assured me she will never be out of stories, and right now I'm contracted through book 17. Um, My editor already knows what I plan through 20, so I'm shooting for at least 20. But even when I do that, there's always more. It's just, you know, it's a great big old galaxy out there in a gigantic multiverse, and I can Mm -hmm. do whatever I want, and I've I've exposed the galaxy, I've exposed the multiverse, and more and more of that is coming in, in the future books. So I feel like as long as Kitty wants to tell me what's going on in her life, I can keep writing her. That's cool.
0: Do you have any other um, events or things going on? Uh,
6: I just released my first romantic suspense. It's a standalone plush life, and they have it here. So that's just out. Um, I have other stuff coming up. I have, I, again, did not bother to look at the publisher's name, but I will have my um, novel set in the Old West. It's coming out in audiobook in 2017 sometime. And that is uh, The Legend of Belladonna, Natural Born Outlaws.
0: So... So tell me a little bit about that because that sounds like it's a, a, a fun a fun romp. We... It is. It's it's not science fiction at all. Um. So
6: it's actually me writing as A. E. Stanton, uh, which is the name I write old west and dystopian future under. And uh, it's just it's it's the ser- it's the book that made me write. So I really care about these characters even more. On it, Kitty gave me my career, mm-hmm. but Bell is the reason I write. So I really care about these characters a lot. No. And it's just she's the West's most infamous female outlaw.
0: Which is fun because we yeah. don't like we don't get enough of those stories. Well, yeah. You
6: know, Westerns are a hard sell and it's not really a Western. I mean, that's the issue. It's not a Western. It's not doesn't follow that formula. It has more in common with Lonesome Dove than it does with Louis Lemoore, for mm-hmm. example. So, um, it's a harder sell because, you know, how are you shelving it? Where are you shelving it? Where where is the um where's the audience so yeah but the i'm excited
0: the female outlaw is such a a, a, there's so many good stories to tell there yeah and i mean it's not western but i have always been fascinated by Anne bonnie the the female pirate just because she was so cool yeah she was very epic
2: yeah
0: um you know so we need more stories like that um you've been one of the one of the authors that we've talked to today that does write by a lot of pen names. Yes. And and can you explain to us why that is?
6: Um, My voice changes when I am writing different things. So as Ginny Koch, I write fast, fresh, and funny stuff. So I write um, science fiction, paranormal, uh, even some horror, depending on what it is. Um, But anything I write as Ginny Koch has to have some form of humor in it uh jg sorry i can do my own pen names gj Koch same thing that's the name i wrote alexander Outlands space pirate under uh that name is also really really funny okay writing funny is really a lot of work it's very hard and you don't always feel funny and so i enjoy writing other things but like when i write horror as jc Koch i don't have to be funny and it's nice uh that voice though is different than anita ensall who also writes speculative fiction and Gemma Chase, who also writes paranormal and urban fantasy and all those things. But my voices are different for those. And it's a different reading experience, therefore. And it's something that I really realized early on was that I couldn't, you couldn't go from reading something by Ginny Koch and then pick up something by Anita Ensel, but being told it was by Ginny Koch and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. One or the other you would you would not like because they are not, these things are not. The same, so I change my pen name as my voice shifts. So as A.E. Stanton, like I said, I write Novel set in the Old West and I write dystopian future as that name, but it also has a distinct voice
0: that is different from Ginny Koch or Anita Ensal or J.C. Koch. So, so it gives it gives your readers an idea of what they're what, what tone they're, they're getting.
6: Yes, it's the tone. It, it, it the tone what they're getting. Some it is also the um, like I only write horror. as J.C. Koch. So if you see J.C. Koch, you should know that it's going to be a horror story of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to write be in with Jonathan Mayberry. Uh, I got to be in his X-Files Trust No One anthology, and I did write that as Ginny Koch. But because I could do that because Mulder has a very sarcastic sense of humor. So I could get a little humor in there so it's still me. You mm-hmm. can tell it's me versus me having to write that as J.C. Koch. Um, I didn't have to because I could put the humor in it. So.
0: Very cool. Um, you also do your um, the reviews where you oh, watch. Is it five episodes or three? It's
6: five, five episodes, episodes in for Slice of Sci-Fi, and uh, that's very fun. And we also do movie reviews for them. And it's, it's it's like the fight and who gets the movie. I got Deadpool. I was so happy. I gave up Captain America for
0: Deadpool. So, well, well I, <clears> I, <throat> I, I would think that you would have had fun with Deadpool.
6: Oh, I loved it. It was such it. a good show. I loved it. I loved it.
0: Um, do you, do you have any opinions on the, what's being called now the Deadpool effect where everybody feels like they have to make it rated R and completely miss the point?
6: Um, I have so many views on that and you pretty much said it, they're completely missing the point. There are now Suicide Squad, I think they were right to probably go back and make it funnier and everything else. Um, I'm sick to death of Dower. I think what they didn't get was that part of the joy of Deadpool is that it was fun Mm -hmm. and it was funny. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's very bloody. Yes, it's very graphic. And if you've ever read one Deadpool comic, you should know that. Um, but I think that just going in and making it R for the sake of, oh, well, Deadpool made money is really stupid and you have missed the point. But at the same time, some films will be improved by that. You know, by taking, putting in some damn humor is not necessarily a bad thing. I'm getting very tired of the dour, dark, um, superhero universe I'm tired of everybody's an anti-hero everybody's dystopian everybody's depressed I'm tired of that i yeah. really tired of that
0: we get enough of that in our daily lives I, right? I'm
6: kind, of, honestly, <laughs> I'm kind of leery of Civil War I love Captain America and I adore Chris Evans okay mm-hmm. I love Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark I really I loved the Avengers I did not like Age of Ultron
0: Although a lot of people have said that and yeah. I can see
6: that I enjoyed it it felt like a filler movie I didn't enjoy it um i'm i love captain america um the first avenger and i love captain america winter soldiers so technically i should expect to be loving civil war i'm just concerned about it from a variety of of ways i mean i'm sure i'll see it but this is one there are a few movies that before i see them i actually want all the spoilers usually i don't like i didn't want spoilers on deadpool i just wanted to go and see it which because i got the premiere i got to But, um, like Superman versus Batman versus Superman, I read all the spoilers like, yeah, I don't need to see this. Not at all. And so, and, or I went in, well, gosh, there was a movie that I'm trying to remember which one it was. It had a gigantic twist of somebody on who died. And my daughter had seen it before me and she told me about it, which was a good thing because I would have load the movie otherwise. Oh, star, uh, um, which I did anyway. Um, star Wars. The latest. No, right, 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 right. Um, she told me what was. I, I got the full spoiler so that when I saw it, I didn't scream in the theater that Kylo Ren is the worst villain I've ever seen in my life. I didn't, you know, just spank him. That's all he needs. Spank <laughs> him and take away his iPhone. You know? Yeah, and, he does
0: come off very much as a oh, bratty teenager. Oh,
6: that's all he is. Yeah. So, anyway, so, but, so some movies. So, I think I'm going to want spoilers on Captain America. So, we'll see. Yeah. My daughter and her husband have, uh, my brand new husband, have all, Kenny. Who, mm-hmm. you know, I know Kenny. He's um, been on the show multiple times. Yes, Dumbbells and Dragons. And uh, they've already seen it. So, I will get um, Mother's Day dinner. I'm going to get the full lowdown nice. um, on on the movie from them. And then I'll know am i excited to
0: see it or am I grudgingly going to see it. Yeah, my, my brother and I, we're... Um... Matt, my brother, and I are oh. all going to go to dinner right after this event, oh. and then we are going to uh, go see Captain America. Oh,
6: cool! Somewhere. So we're cool. very, That's gonna be fun. very,
0: very excited. That's um, gonna be fun. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun year for, for geeks. It's been yes. a fun year for where there's a lot of stuff going on that I think are is very positive and very fun. Um, what advice do you have to people that want to get into writing? I know it's it's not it's not an easy field to do. And especially at the momentum and the quantity that you are doing it.
6: It well, number one, just because you learned to write in school does not mean you're a writer. It does not mean you actually have a story to tell. I can, I tend these. Days, I used to be like, oh, just follow your dream. And um, Bob Mayer, who um, gave me tremendously good advice at the start of my career. Uh, when i was like being all Susie sunshiny because you're gonna hit a point where you're just gonna be like yeah prove it and boy i hit that point hard and now mm-hmm. i'm just like mm. oh you have a story idea really have you set your butt in the chair put your hands on the keyboard or put taking a pad of paper and a pen and written because until you do that nothing i have an idea everything around us is based on an idea to me it isn't the opposable thumbs That set us apart from all the rest of the mammals on this planet and every other living thing. It's that we have ideas beyond, can I eat that, can I mate with that, and can I live here safely? We have ideas. We think of things like a cell phone or a computer or doing a podcast. Everything around, your glasses, my hat, our clothes, these are all ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay, we are loaded with ideas. It is the people who take action on their ideas that are successful, period. So... Having ideas, so what? There are no new ideas under the sun. And Michael Stackpole and I have gotten into arguments about this. He believes that everybody's got a good idea, and I believe that the Bible got everything, and anything the Bible missed, Shakespeare covered. There are no new ideas. You can boil all the stories down. It is how you tell the story. Your voice is the most important thing. That That's what makes you unique, how you put the words together to form the sentences, your paragraphs, your chapters, your how you're telling the story—that's what makes you unique. And you don't learn that just by waking up one day and saying, "I'm gonna—I—I I have a story." Look at me. You learn that by craft. And I relate it to: um, you have a choice. You're gonna go buy a dining room table, and you can either buy it from the person that woke up yesterday, said, "I'm gonna put some wood together," and bang, 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 there it is, or you can buy it from the master craftsman who has put years in, started learning in school, put years in as an apprentice, and now he has this beautiful table. Which one do you want? Mm -hmm. You want the master craftsman. Okay, this is an art and that requires craft. Okay, Um, because I write, for example, I write in a thriller style, and that means that short chapters and cliffhanger endings at the end of every chapter. I had to learn that. I didn't do that naturally. I rambled naturally Mm -hmm. oh 50 page chapters yes nobody wants to read that (laughs) okay but all of that's craft and until you're doing the craft until you're sitting there and you're writing every single day you're not going to get any good and the the positive on self-publishing is that anybody can get published so if your book has been rejected by new york multiple times for The good reasons, okay, you can publish. The bad thing is that anybody can get published today. So you people think, oh, I wrote the end. I don't have to edit it. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. And I don't even have to risk rejection. I can just throw it up there. Uh, That doesn't mean you're actually a writer. It just means that you barfed out some stuff and said, here's my poo, right? You know, Mm. we don't care about that we want something good something well written something that has a story and that is not to say that i think people need to spend all their time trying to work in literature and try to make you know every sentence sparkle the sentences have to make sense they have to flow together to make the whole of your story but they don't ha- you don't have to look up a different word for blue mm-hmm. you really don't have to you know, if it's cerulean, that's great. If it's sky, that's great. If it's royal, that's great. You don't really need it. It only matters if it matters. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with detail. It only matters if it matters. And I had to learn that At first. I was terrible with detail, and then I, while learning, gave too much detail. Like I would literally, when I was learning how to do description in narrative, I'd literally, it was like I was DMing for a and D campaign. My character would document and would describe. It's a 40 by 60 room, mm-hmm. and I, mean, I was literally describing it, you know, look for where the treasure and the traps might be, as opposed to saying it was a room. It doesn't matter unless it matters. I would only worry in the back of the, the bookstores, you know, their back shelf area. So there is something that you, nobody watching this can see. There's a big um, shelf up there, and it holds a lot of stuff. The only reason I would mention that in a story is if someone's up there as a sniper or that's going to fall down.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Okay, there's no other reason. If it's just we walked through the room to get to the bathroom, we're done. Yep. Okay, there's no reason. I don't even need to tell you about it. So, but all of that's craft, and most people don't want to put in the time for craft. They want it now, 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 and that's not good. And you know, it's people blame the video game mentality, but I don't because video games are not now, 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 now. You have to die and be reborn and die and be reborn and die and yeah. be reborn to make your way through. That's a lot of work. I'm actually not down on video games. I think they do some great storytelling, and they really do teach you that you have to keep trying. The thing is, is there are you don't get the do-over in real life. You don't right. get to start from nothing. But that's what a rejection is. It's your do-over. It's like, that wasn't good enough for this particular market, so you send it out to someplace else. And or if they gave you feedback, you fix it and do something else. But I think the biggest issue is that people want to do it now. I, um, and okay, so I met the woman that became my agent in, in September. Uh, I finished the book I was touched by an alien, the book I was working on, which was actually already done, but I did. I finished that, sent it to her. She was supposed to read it in three months. She read it in two weeks. Signed me it, so she signed me in December. Sent it to DAW, which was my number one choice for a uh, publisher. And they signed me in six months for a two-book deal. That sounds like, oh, my God, overnight sensation. I wrote for at least ten years Mm -hmm. before I was good enough to sell anything, and it was a humor short. And then I had to keep working. at. I saw a humor short and a humorous poem, and those were the only sales I had, again, for another year until this came on. So I wrote for ten to a dozen years before I got good enough to write the book that would get me an agent and ultimately get me a publishing contract, and therefore get me a career. So when people are like, "Oh, I don't want to wait," then don't do this.
2: Okay. this you have, isn't, to, and, pay you have to pay your dues, oh, and it's a business.
6: and well, it isn't even that. You have to work, mm-hmm. and it's a business built on rejection. If you're a special snowflake and you can't handle being heard, no, hearing the word no, or being told that where well, you need to improve, you should just get out of the arts, period. Because this is. All the arts are built on criticism. I, we just criticize stuff mm-hmm. that is art, starting in here. We talked about Deadpool. We talked about Captain America. We talked about Star Wars. We talked about all this stuff. That's all art. That's film, but it's still art. And we had a critical opinion on it. Right. And, and that's the same with books. It's the same with paintings. It's the same with dance. It doesn't matter. If it's in the arts, we feel free to criticize it. <laughs> and if
0: there's something that people have more of than ideas it's it's opinions it's opinions exactly <laughs> exactly so
6: you better be prepared because if you're in the
0: special snowflake
6: category this is a really miserable business to be in very
0: cool we're going to be getting to cake here we soon are. and i don't want you to miss out on oh, that no, i
6: wouldn't want to miss cake but Clear, clearly <laughs> i would ne- i never miss the cake
0: but uh I, I do want to give you a chance to what what's coming up for you in the next couple of months and and where can we find you
6: Uh, You can find me um, pretty much everywhere. I'm on social media and Twitter at Ginny Koch, G-I-N-I-K-O-C-H, no space. Um, On Facebook as Ginny Koch or Hairspray and Rock and Roll, which is my fan page. Um, My website is www.ginnykoch.com, G-I-N-I-K-O-C-H. Um, I'm around everywhere. I will be, um, on, I'm on, I'm, this is the start of my book tour for, uh, Camp Alien. So I'm up in LA. i will be signing stock at various, various bookstores up there and I'll let people know where they're at. And then I'm going to Vegas for StokerCon where I'm attending the bar.
2: <laughs> I could not get my act together to
6: register for the con. And by the time I, I was talking to my agent, she's just like, cause she's going to be there too. She's just like, just attend the bar. You're fine. You got to write anyway. So I'll be in the bar at the Flamingo and there are lots of bars in the Flamingo. So look for me. And then, um, I am at the, um, Barnes and Noble in La- in Henderson, which is part of the Vegas Metro on Stephanie on Saturday from two to five with the amazing wicked writers and then home and then I'm at the Poison Pen again stock and stuff in in Phoenix area and at the Poison Pen on May 23rd for the end of tour and then right after that is Phoenix Comic Con
0: which we're both going to be at which, which is, is going to be a lot so of so
6: exciting and if you're going to Phoenix Comic Con which is just a fabulous fabulous comic con to do it's the right size where we get awesome guests but you still get to do everything and see everybody and the lines are not ridiculous uh, I will be in Author's Alley. I don't know my table numbers yet, um, but I will be down there in Author's Alley in the exhibit hall. And I will also, I'm doing a steampunk um, event. And I think it's on Saturday, but I don't remember. Uh, me, Beth Cato, and Sharon Skinner are the panelists on that. And then Friday, uh, uh-huh. June 3rd, is Evening Erotica, which is my big um, my big um, event over there. So that's Friday night from 730 to 1030 and you don't want to miss it cuz it's huge fun. We basically play the euphemism game for 3 hours have tons of prizes, lots of laughs, everything else. So come come do that. Make that your Friday night plan.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank it was you. so great to finally awesome. meet you in person. Same That's here. really exciting. Here. And and again, thank you for for getting us in touch with Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore. And, I felt and it was making going to be one of possible. those matches made in heaven. It was. Thank yeah. you so much.
4: Hi, my name is Elena Hartwell. And I am the author of the Eddie Shoes Mystery Series. The first one, One Dead, Two To Go, came out on April 15th. And book two comes out next year on April 15th. And book three comes out two years from now on April 15th.
0: And what is your, what is your series about?
4: Um, it is about a female private investigator. And her sidekick is her mom. So it is a mother-daughter duo, and her mother is a card counting poker player who's been kicked out of Vegas.
2: Nice. <laughs> so, little comedy, a little
4: bit of comedy there. I like to say that if Kinsey Milhone and James Rockford had a love child, it would be Eddie Shoes,
2: oh,
0: awesome. who is my,
4: you know, you know, she's my PI. So I think that sort of sums up who she is.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so we're at a uh, a bookstore, a big uh, event. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of <laughs> books influenced you when you were starting to write?
4: You know, that's a great question. Obviously, Sue Grafton, since I talk about Kinsey Milhone as, as uh, you know, that my characters are a love child of her. So Sue Grafton was huge for me because as a teenager, she was the first series I really followed. Um, I've read, you know, read tons of series since then, but she was sort of the first series. And, and I sort of had this realization, oh, you know, women can write mysteries and they can have female lead characters. And um, it's not all blood and guts and gore. I Mm -hmm. read books that are violent, but I don't write a lot of violence. And so she she sort of opened my eyes to what mysteries can be. Um, I love, having said that, I love some of the darker writers, Mm -hmm. um, Gillian Flynn and um, Tara, uh, Tana French. Um, Love Dennis Lehane. I'm a huge Dennis Lehane fan. Um, Craig Johnson. I love the Longmire. Um, So sort of a lot of writers. And then if I think about, you know, like who inspired me to be a writer? I kind of go back to some of the classics as a kid, um, the Hobbit, the Narnia series. And those, even though my books have nothing to do with those worlds or those genres, it showed me how you can just create a world and mm-hmm. other people are going to engage with it. And so, like, I think sort of those two things combine. So sort of yeah. the mystery writers that I, I love and sort of think about how, how the work goes together, and then just writers in general who, you know, that world of words that I fell in love with as a, you know, four year old, five year old.
0: Definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, geekitude is a geek culture podcast and the, the word comes from amalgamation of geek and aptitude because Mm -hmm. everybody has a different level of geekiness in different areas. Where would you say your geekitude is high?
4: Oh, animals. I'm such a geek about animals. Yeah. I, um, Uh, People who have been in my workshops know that I will work my horses into any conversation. (laughs) Very nice. I absolutely can do that. Um, And sort of the rescue side of things. Um, I've had a rescue dog in the past. I have a rescue cat and I have a rescue horse. So sort of that, um, our stewardship of animals, I'm definitely a geek there. Um, That's a really great question Like to think about what else comes up. I am a total geek about things like story structure and character arc. And I had a... I had a, someone who I sort of mentor. She's a friend, but I also sort of mentor her as a writer. And she said something to me the other day that really stuck, stuck with me. We were sort of texting, and I had said, oh, I've you know taught these workshops, and I'm working with this writer right now, and I'm having a really great time teaching. And she said, um, "She said you really just live it, don't you? You just live being a writer. Mm-hmm. And that not just that writer's life, but fostering. I teach playwriting um, at Bellevue College. I teach a ton of writer's workshops, and I, I just love the writer's life and fostering other people and engaging in what it means to be a writer. And And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of a geek there, yeah. That's
0: cool. That's cool, and it sounds like maybe if you're doing um, playwriting that maybe a bit of a theater geek as well.
4: I definitely have been a theater geek, um, but I'll tell you – so. I got this book deal, you know, obviously it takes a while between the deal and and the book coming out. So I've had the book deal for almost two years and the book's just now coming out and writing books two and books three. I'm so immersed in fiction right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So teaching playwriting at Bellevue College is sort of nice because it keeps me sort of grounded Mm -hmm. in that theater world. But it's, it's, it's interesting sort of straddling that right now in that I'm so much in the fiction world. Um, but yeah, definitely, I have some theater geekness in there too.
0: Well, I am a I am an English and drama teacher, oh, so so I always love to hear when people love theater yeah. because yeah. I, you know, so so many people don't engage with it. It's coming back again. It goes in cycles. Yeah, it it's does go in cycles. Again,
4: I and you know, I, people say, oh, the theater's gonna die, and I'm always like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's never gonna happen. It may change sort of the format. It may change how we interact with it. It may change sort of who the prime audience is. Like those things change over and over and over and over again, but it's never gonna go away. And you know, for me and I know a lot of people who really love improv and love those sorts of things and I'm not against that. It's just not my thing. I always come back to the script mm-hmm. and the the written word and the the crafting of that written word. And so I'm I'm a theater geek and the, the dramatist at the bottom of that. Like yeah. the writing matters the most to me. Yeah. yeah. That's
0: awesome. Um, what kind of things do you have going on? Like, do you have, uh, big events coming up? Any, anything exciting to report I do. out?
4: Well, I'll tell you, this whole thing is so exciting for me. So not only is One Dead, Two To Go my first novel, but this is my very first book signing at a bookstore. Oh, this cool. event, I know. I, am like, it, you just couldn't, I couldn't have gotten launched any better way. Um, it's my hometown, you know, there's a ton of people here because there's all these amazing writers. And so I feel really lucky that this was sort of my first event. But then I have, I have a bunch of things coming up locally. So I'm at the U-Book store in Bellevue. I'm at Third Place Books in Lake Forest Park outside Seattle. And I'm having a big launch party at Bellevue College in the theater. Oh, The theater nice. department. We're doing it as staged readings and very theatrical and live music and all that for the official launch party. And then I'm going to a whole bunch of mystery conferences. I'm really excited about um, Voucher Con and Thriller Fest. And, um you know, killer Nashville. And so I have a lot of events sort of, sort of in place, but I'm pretty excited that this is my very, very first. That's very cool. Um,
0: So then that opens up a whole new set of questions because, (laughs) um, first of all, a lot of people have talked about, um, we've had a couple of mystery writers that we've Mm -hmm. talked to today. And, uh, do you know how your books are going to end before you
4: get there? Before I write them? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. So here's sort of my process. I, I write the beginning and then I write the end and then I write the middle to figure out sort of how I get from from A to Z. Um, but what was interesting about this second... And that's how I've always written plays. Right at the beginning, right at the end, and then right, right through the middle. So I've been doing that for a long time. And with this second book has been so interesting. I'm almost sort of finished with the second book. Because, you know, you, you need that six-month lead time. And yeah. so I'm actually not that far out from having the second book be done. And I... Thought I knew who the dead guy was. Because it's one dead, two to go is book one. Two dead are better than one is book two. Three dead, you're out is book three. And so there's one dead guy, you know, two dead guys, and I really thought I knew who this dead person was. And I got through, you know, the first draft, and my editor had seen it everything was great. And I realized I had the wrong corpse, that the, the wrong person was dead.
3: Oh, wow. And I had
4: to rewrite. And it was interesting because it made so much sense. I thought, how did I not kill this guy to begin with? You know, like how is this not who this dead guy was? Um, so that was sort of fascinating. So I, I knew the whole arc of the story, you know, and I had, I had written all the way through to the end, but even then, like organically, I realized I need to fix this and, actually changed who the identity of the dead That's so
0: was. fun to hear. Yeah. I think yeah. that's just so fascinating that everybody has a different process and yeah. and so many writers that we've talked to today have said that sometimes the the journey they discover entirely new things.
4: You it's so my my husband's favorite one of my husband's favorite stories about me is is uh, one time I was getting ready to go I have an office at home and I said oh, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, work and I said I, I can't wait to see what happens next. And he looks at me, my husband's a business guy. So this is like very foreign to him. And he looks at me and he's like, don't you know, like you're the writer. Like how do you not know that? And I was like, well, no, not really. Cause I was still, you know, in the early stages, sort of grappling with what the story is. So yeah. Very yeah. cool.
0: And since this is, you know, your kind of your first foray into this, how has that been? How, how has that experience? Is there anything that has surprised you or that has taken you back a little bit in the process? Um,
4: you know, it's so interesting. So I've taught at a lot of writers' conferences because as a playwright I have been teaching dialogue workshops to fiction writers for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I have been at writers' conferences and I've talked to a lot of writers, worked with a lot of writers. But this last weekend was the first time my book was for sale at the conference. And so that was that was sort of huge because I was like, Oh, I'm here not just as a teacher but as a novelist. So that was sort of huge. And then to be coming here and be like, oh, my God, I'm going to an actual bookstore where people go in and buy books. And people who've never met me are going to buy my book. You know, and the, the first person who came up to get a book signed that I didn't know, it was my mom happened to be standing there. And she took a picture
2: because she's like, oh,
4: my God, this is so exciting. Like, this is the first person who, you know, doesn't know me who's like bought my book. And so it's so um, like it's just been sort of surreal experience because. You know, like I said, I wrote the book two and a half years ago. I got the book deal, or three years ago. I got the book deal a year and a half ago. It's such a long process. Right. So that when you're finally holding the book in your hand, it's sort of I can't I can't believe this day is here. So I'm kind of on a high. You can probably absolutely. tell. Yeah, absolutely. It's such it's nice to be yeah. able to get, feed off that energy yeah, because yeah. You're,
0: it's it's so neat that you're we're able to experience that with you. It so it's is, very cool.
4: and and being the being the theater geek that I am, because I love that. Being the theater geek that I am, I'm, my book tour is called Mystery Loves Company, mm-hmm. um, because I'm so used to being surrounded by you know, actors and designers and and directors. And, um, I've done a lot of directing myself, so I'm used to this big group. So a lot of my readings are with actors and me. And so instead of me reading from the book, we're reading readers theater and they're taking on different characters. Yeah. And so I also have this sort of, um, crossover of, um, like my theater community blending in with my now literary one, which that's is a, really
0: fun. And it's got to be a little bit of a, a strange change from that very collaborative art, which, which writing isn't always.
4: No, it's not, and it's so, you know, it takes. I always say it takes a village to do a play.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, I mean, you, you write your script, and it's not that's not a finished product. You write your play, and that's a blueprint, and now you need the actors and directors in a the theater, and you need designers, and and then you need an audience. Mm-hmm. And writing the book, you know, it was me alone with my computer, and, you know, then I have some beta readers, and they read it, and and then my editor, you know, when I got the the book deal, and I have a phenomenal developmental editor, and it's just me and her, you know, and we go back and forth and back and forth, and and she just helped me so much shaping that first book and sort of thinking about a series, because I'd never written a series, you know, and sort of the shaping of that, and it was just me and her. And, you know, then at the end, we have our, you know, the line editor and, and um, you know, wonderful art department who did the cover. But I'm not, you know, we sent it over email. What do you think of that? You know, so different from being in the room with, you know, six actors and four designers. And so the process was so different. And in some ways, it's really great because you have all this control. Like your book is your book. And when you hold it in your hand, it's done. With a theater, you, you go see a performance of your play, and it's ephemeral, uh-huh. you will never have that back again. Right. It's a different audience. It's a different cast. It's a different... So even a play that's been done over and over and over again, it's it's there's nothing to hang on to. And so there's something really gratifying about the solidity of a book. So it's just been a really interesting journey how those two things are. But I, I do find... My, I'm like, oh, look at you, lady, You're bringing all these actors into your... Your literary because, you, because that's what it you, makes you feel used safe. To. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because somebody uh, we interviewed earlier, a, a pair of gentlemen who have a film background. And yeah. they're like, the great thing about a book is it's like you have all the control. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a little bit yeah. of that. It's, it is. It's a different, um, it's more of a, this is my art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. And I do think that, you know, the other thing that's interesting to me is that there's a, a, a one-to-one between you and the reader. Mm-hmm whereas it's one to however many people are involved between you and the audience right and so the it, there's something really interesting about the fact that like there is no mediation between me and the reader mm-hmm. it's just the book whereas with a play it's you know the interpretation of an actor the interpretation of the director what the audience how they're feeling that night the is the air conditioning on too high like all yeah. of those things have such a different impact so it's intriguing.
0: That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. Where can we find you? Um, where what, what social media should we be following you on?
4: I would love to have you like my author page. So it's just Elena Hartwell Author on Facebook. Um, I have a Twitter. I'm at Elena underscore Hartwell. Um, my website is ElenaHartwell.com. And I have a writer's blog. I ordinarily interview other authors mm-hmm. on it. It's called ArkOfAWriter.com. And, but this month I'm, I'm interviewing myself, oh, that's so awesome. yeah, yeah, I'm so excited to be on my own blog. Um, so I'm just doing what the first month of a, a debut author's life is like. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's cool. <laughs> well,
0: I'm, congratulations you. on your new book Thank and, you. and on this journey that it is, is so exciting to hear how excited you are about it.
4: I am. <laughs> Very cool.
0: Um, well, thank you, and thank you. we're going to be back in probably about 15 minutes with another author. So Why we'll see you guys helps. soon. Thank you. I'm here with Marie Brennan, and we're going to talk to her about her her books and what she's been doing here and promoting here today. How are you? Doing pretty well. Uh, what is your book that you're focused on here today at Mysterious Galaxy?
7: So the book that um, I'm kind of promoting at this point is In the Labyrinth of Drakes, which is the fourth book of the memoirs of Lady Trent. That's the series I've been writing for several years now. Uh, fourth of five books, I should say, because I'm constantly being asked how many books will be in the series. Um and the memoirs of Lady Trent are the story of a lady adventurer and dragon naturalist in a kind of Victorian sort of world. Um, very much modeled on our 19th century, but it isn't this world, specifically. Okay. Um, so things have analogs there, but it's a slightly different geography, different history. Uh, most of the Europeans are Jewish, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, the fourth one takes her to basically a Middle Eastern kind of environment, Akia, um, which I based pretty heavily on like the, the Syrian desert um, and some of the history there.
0: Very cool. Um, Now, this isn't your first novel by any stretch. Um, Tell us about some of the other books that you've published.
7: So the first series I did uh, was a duology that's now going under the title of the Doppelganger series. The first book was originally called Doppelganger, and then it got retitled as Warrior to match with the second one, being Witch. Um, And those were kind of more... um, they the kind of fantasy I have trouble describing because I'm like, they're, they're just fantasy fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not historical fantasy. They're not really epic fantasy. They're just fantasy. Um, and uh, that was basically which is a Ninja, um, is the, the easy way to sum up that one. And then I did a historical fiction series or historical fantasy called The Onyx Court that's set in London at different points during the city's history. So the first book is Elizabethan um, in the 16th century. The next one is 17th century, the English Revolution. The next one is 18th century, Enlightenment. And then it wraps up uh, in the Victorian period. The book is With Fate Conspire. And that's kind of more
0: steampunky. Um. What drew you to fantasy? Like, would you remember when that first moment is that you were like, "I love this."
7: Um. I remember when I decided that I wanted to be a writer, but I had started to love fantasy a little bit before that. Originally, I was a mystery reader. I grew up on the Nancy Drew books, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, kind of in the way that kids are, I was sort of indiscriminate as a kid. Um. Mm -hmm. I I read mysteries. I read fantasy. I didn't really notice there were genre differences between things. (laughs) They were all books. Yes. Um. You'll never convince me that the Secret Garden isn't a fantasy novel. because my brain very determinedly read actual magic into all of the magic mm-hmm. that happens in the story. Um, so, you know, grew up reading all that kind of thing. But it was a book by Diana Wynne-Jones called Fire and Hemlock that made me say, I want to be a writer. And that's a, a fantasy novel. It was published as children's at the time. It would probably be called Young Adult Now. Um that's based very much on Tamlin and Thomas the Rhymer, the the Scottish ballads. Um, not identical to either of them, but like, what if another thing of that type
2: happened?
0: Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, what is your process? How do you go about writing your, your books?
7: Um, well, I'm not an outliner. Um, I know some people... They, they know what's going to happen in every chapter. I, I think of it as, like, I'm hammering pegs into the ground ahead of me, and I could be like, all right, I need to get there eventually.
2: <laughs> but how
7: exactly I'm going to do that, I don't really know until I write it. Um, which, for me, keeps some of the excitement in the story, because there have been times where I feel like, well, I already know everything that's going to happen. Why bother writing it? All right, because then other people can read it. But <laughs> I'd like to have that element of discovery still in there. Um, and I mean, I've got, like most people, a list of books that I want to write someday that I'm never going to get to all of them, and they just kind of percolate around there. And then at any given point, like I'm wrapping up the memoirs now, so the question is, what do I do next? And it's, well, what's in the hopper? Um, and what kind of bounces to the top of it? Um, and then usually when I start drafting, it's pretty quick. It's like three to four months to actually write the book. but. Then, of course, you have copy edits, you have proofreading, you have typesetting of all the other things that need to happen before it hits the shelves.
0: Um, you're one of the first writers that we've talked to today who has completed a series. A lot of them are in book one or two of mm-hmm. three or four or five. Yeah. Or or it's never going to end and that's okay <laughs> with them. Um, how do you feel at the end of a series when you've been working with a character for so long? Is it sad? Is it exciting? Is it a little bit of both?
7: Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I finished the first draft of um, Within the Sanctuary of Wings as the fifth book and final book of the memoirs. Um, I finished that a couple of months ago, and like on the one hand, it was awesome to have all the payoff of everything that had been building up, but especially... like. The Doppelganger series, it was only two books. It's a duology, so, you know, I wasn't with it that long. And because of the way getting published worked, I had written the first book about, like, four or five years before I wrote the second one because I sold the first one and then wrote the second. Um, The Onyx Court, it was a series. I did finish it, and there were continuities because it's about this fairy court hidden underneath London. So the fairy characters could persist from one book to the next. The mortal characters, not so much. Um... But because each one was a bit more standalone, it was its own century, there was less of that feeling of of continuity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the memoirs, which, again, have something of an episodic cast, but there is a main character, which the Onyx Court didn't have. Um, So yeah, I've spent five years with Isabella. I kind of know her pretty well at this point, and it is a little sad when you reach the end of that and think, well... I'm I mean I might do like a short story or something. I know there are plenty of readers who would love me to continue on with the series from now until the end of time. But I know for me both I don't want to get stuck in doing just one thing. You know, I, I want to get the variety in there. And also what you said of you know, some people they love to write series where it's it will go from now until whenever. I like series with an arc. I like ones where there's uh, you know, kind of a meta plot that sort of arches over it all. It doesn't have to be real strong, but something where it's going to be a certain length and when you get to the end, there will be that payoff of the thing that you've kind of been carrying since the beginning. So, you know, I'd rather stop the series at a point where I've got that payoff when I'm still excited about it and my readers are still right, excited right. about it. <laughs> I don't ever want to be that author where somebody goes, oh, is that still going? Oh man, she should have wrapped it up two books ago. <laughs> <I don't
0: laughs> Nobody want to... wants to be that. Author. Yeah,
7: exactly. Um, so it's sad. I, I may actually write some more short stories in the setting. Um, you know, there's things I might do, but uh, this is gonna be the end of the novels, pretty much. Um, nothing else. My character is like 40 years old, and I'm sending her into the Himalaya. Um, it's the equivalent of the Himalaya, I should say. And, you know, there's only so many more times I can send her out in the field before she's getting a little long in the tooth. Well, and
0: it, just us as as people, we start, as we get older, realizing, I can't do all this stuff. That... <laughs> oh, yeah,
7: she's, to, she's getting a bit back. of that in the fifth book, where she, yeah, um, 40 is a bit old to be almost losing, well, not that people haven't almost lost teeth to scurvy at much more advanced ages, but... She doesn't quite have the I'm 20 and invincible feeling anymore. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Which is which is part of that yeah, that, that mean, life arc that we all go through. Yeah, I'm, I'm in
7: my mid-30s right now, and the number of my joints that are starting to go, hey, hey, you remember those 13 years of ballet? Those weren't such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, everybody told me when she hit 30, the body, you know, everything's fine, but the body does start creaking a little bit more every morning. Yeah, yeah and... stuff
7: that you would have just rebounded from, like rubber before, it kind of takes you a little longer to get over it, or maybe you don't quite.
0: <laughs> the, the late night parties,
7: not so much anymore. No, I was never much of a late night party type. Of <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, so. The, the podcast is called Geekitude. It's mm-hmm. a combination of geek and aptitude, because okay. everybody has a different level of geek. They're geekier in some things than they are in others. Oh, yeah. Where do you feel your, your geektitude is high?
7: Uh, role-playing games. Um, I actually studied them in graduate school for about six years, which I think is about as geeky as you can get.
0: That's pretty phenomenal. Um,
7: And I was actually a freelance writer for um, Alderock Entertainment Group, were the owners of Legend of the Five Rings. I was a freelance writer for the RPG until they sold it off to Fantasy Flight Games. So... I don't know what's happening now, but um, yeah. So I've freelanced for RPGs. I've played in many games. I've run games. I have studied games in grad school. Um, I'd say that's a pretty high geek level on that front. That's
0: that's that's pretty good <laughs> yeah. geek cred there. I
7: haven't designed my own game yet, so there's there's an achievement I haven't unlocked.
0: I have I have to ask what when you're when you're studying games in grad school mm-hmm. what what is that. Entail? Like, what are you looking for?
7: Well, the way that I approached it, I was majoring in anthropology and folklore. And so that was, I mean, I came in wanting to just study the science fiction and fantasy community more generally, but you have to, you know, pick things within that to talk about. And I sort of gravitated toward RPGs in part because the community that I was a part of out there was really a, like, fanatically good gaming community. Um, And for those who are RPG nerds listening to this, I will say, I lived in the weirdest town ever. The uh, Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse LARPs kept dying for lack of interest, but the Changeling game ran for six years,
0: pulling in at its
7: height 80 people a month.
0: That's crazy.
7: I lived on a... alien planet, basically, because that's just not how World of Darkness genre goes. No, it <laughs> is it's
0: always vampires, and then maybe werewolves, and then mage. And, yes, yes. And,
7: and never changeling. Yeah, changeling's a redheaded <laughs> stepchild, but we were in a really fantastic changeling town. Um, and actually, the Onyx Court books, um, they did have their inspiration in a tabletop game I ran that was sort of continuity connected to the main changeling LARP. Mine was these characters in modern-day London flashing back to previous lives, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that I developed for the flashbacks of that game ended up turning into the Onyx Court series, so I've also committed game novelization, kind of. Which uh, is which is awesome because yeah.
0: I think that's that's kind of one of the fun things about um, uh, role-playing games in general is that it's it's that world-building. Mm. Um, you know, we had um, an author here earlier who who said he ran his game for forever. And I'm like, people don't realize how lucky they are when they are a player mm-hmm. in a game with somebody who was
2: going <laughs> or
0: not just keeps going. Who's run by a writer or an artist or somebody who well, really knows how to create that it story. It can
7: be, but I will say the downside, cause I, this is something that I have to think about consciously that, Writers can run really fantastic games because they think about the world building and all the other characters, and they can also run terrible games because they want to control the story.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. They want
7: to say, here's how you're going to solve the problem. And that takes it away from the actual players, their ability to affect what's going to happen. So it's possible to also be a writer and a terrible GM because you're railroading everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, to, to get back to your question, with um, uh, the reason I gravitated toward RPGs was partly because of the community and partly because... Um, The anthropology side of it was, okay, you do have a gaming community, you do have all of the social dynamics around that of how games get pulled together and how people interact. But then the folklore side of it was, I was looking at games as a form of storytelling. It's this improvisational, collaborative, um, uh, emergent is one of the words that I was using in my papers, meaning that you don't exactly plan the story, it's just kind of the emergent result of all the actions people take in the game. Um, so that made it work for the folklore side as this kind of genre of storytelling. So I was able to combine my two majors that way.
0: That, that's such an awesome – what an exciting major to have. It was fun. <laughs> and they even
7: gave me a fellowship. They gave me a five-year fellowship to do this.
0: That's amazing. That's still so cool. I don't know cool. how I got away with that. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, are there areas where you feel your geekitude is low?
7: I'm not much of a comic book person. Um, I never really got into them growing up except for ElfQuest, which I loved pieces. It's fantastic. Um, but, like, superhero comics and such, DC, Marvel, I basically only know them through the movies and TV shows. So
0: Now, do you enjoy that? Do you in, is that yeah, something that you, you consume?
7: Yeah. Um, no, I, I really enjoy a lot of the stuff they've been doing. I think Marvel has done a kind of remarkable job in putting together this, like, you know, this kind of macro story that's getting built up through these different strands, um, you know, even if not every piece of it has been great, the achievement that they've got there of making these things actually fit together, it's really impressive how well they've done that. Well, uh, it's
0: a completely different—it's th- never been done before.
7: No, I don't know of anything that is really comparable to what Marvel— I mean, they, they had a three-phase plan, I know, when they set out to do this, of, okay— we're gonna do uh, individual titles for these characters, pull them together into an
0: Avengers movie, and then we move into Phase Two. And I'm like, holy
7: shit, it's the Marvel plan for world domination.
0: It's <laughs> and, and what I'm impressed by is that they're not. This is our th- our three phase plan, mm-hmm. and that's it. Because they have been changing and right. they have They've been, been developing. Yeah, uh, they just announced that they're gonna do. Um, uh, Black Widow solo movie. Finally! Yes, they just announced that. In fact, the episode that... Black
7: Widow that, and Wonder Woman. The world is a magnificent
0: place. <laughs> the episode I aired, um, that aired this morning, because we recorded it on Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, and we did a Mother's Day episode, and we brought up the fact that they were going to... that uh, fans overwhelmingly said, like 48% of the people po- polled said they wanted the Black Widow movie.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, and then between Wednesday and today with that episode coming out... Mm-hmm. They announced it, and Fantastic. I'm like, well, obviously they they have my equipment bugged <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because obviously well, and, that's. I mean, why. they've
7: been dropping so many hints about her backstory that it's like it's really just begging for something that finally goes into it. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs>
0: yeah, so so that's that's kind of yeah, because that is one of
7: the places where Marvel has kind of not been picking up the ball as much as I would like. Is like okay, we're getting all these individual titles for crying out loud. Black Widow, she's sitting right there. Right,
0: right. And and a, and a different genre than they've done, because you can right. do the, stu- the spy stuff. You exactly. Do... It's more of
7: an espionage Cold War kind of thing. And uh, it
0: brings it in such a different dynamic, yeah. so that's really cool. Um, so it's been very exciting to talk to you. What, what do you have coming up next? What's your next steps, next appearances?
7: Um, I'm going to be doing um, SF and SF, which is a, uh, a reading series, basically, in San Francisco, so it's science fiction in san francisco sf in sf i um, going to be doing that on may 22nd and then the bay area book festival the first weekend of june but in between those things um a natural history of dragons the first book of the memoirs has been translated into french and my french publisher is flying me out to france oh how nice book festival called les imaginales i apologize to any french speakers my french pronunciation is very spanish <laughs> and american Um, So, yes, I'm going out to France for that, and that's over, what, in the U.S. is Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'm doing a signing at Forbidden Planet in London the following Thursday, because if I'm going to go from California to France, I might as well do some other things while I'm there. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Um,
7: So, yes, I'll be at Les Imaginales, I'll be at Forbidden Planet on June 2nd, I think it is, and a couple of things in the Bay Area.
0: Very cool. And where where can people follow you if they're interested?
7: Uh, My website is swantower.com. No spaces are hyphens or anything between swan and tower um i'm also swan underscore tower on twitter i do not have a facebook page because i have moral objections to facebook's lack of privacy policies
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
7: but uh yeah
0: right. well thank you very much and we'll definitely post all your information on the show notes and yep. hopefully we'll get some people to to check in with you all
2: right well thank, well, thank you, very you very much, much.
0: That concludes our coverage of the Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore Birthday Bash event. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to all these different authors talk about their geekiness. They were a lot of fun to talk to. A couple of shout-outs. First to Jeannie Koch for uh, setting the whole thing up and also to Mary Elizabeth who was the owner and was gracious enough to host me and, and allow me to to do that event. It was a lot of fun. Next week, I'm gonna be talking to Ray Vargas again about X-Men Apocalypse, and so we will do a spoiler cast of that. Also, this coming weekend, I will be at Phoenix Comic-Con. I'm gonna be a special guest at Ginny Koch's Evening Erotica on Friday, June 3rd. It's at 7.30, so if you are at Phoenix Comic-Con, Make sure to stop by and say hello. also be walking around for the entire weekend, well, at least uh, Friday through Sunday. So if you're around, send me a tweet, and uh, I'll be happy to meet up, and we can geek out about whatever you're into. And that is it. So all the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. You can currently find me at geektitude.com, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all of your favorite podcatchers. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you would like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Geektitude, or me personally at epicgraves. Until next time, make sure to keep it geek.